0: Amen. Thanks so much to to our band for leading us in worship this morning, and thank you, um, Steve and and Christy, for leading us in worship through Scripture. Uh, As I announced last week, uh, we are uh, in the midst of a a two-week period where we uh, really uh, allow you to ask questions or make comments uh, about an elder that... uh, a potential elder that we have brought before you as a church. And I'm, I've actually asked Greg today before I preach to share his story. So Greg Marikin's going to come up and he's going to share as to uh, how he came to know the Lord. And uh, so just make him feel welcome. You, you guys can be a, a tad bit daunting. If you could clap, that'd be great. And I'm going to sit back here. I can barely keep mine working, Greg. I don't know how to help you there.
1: How's that? Okay. I took lessons from Chad on microphone operation. Um, so like Chad said, I'm, I'm Greg Modelkeen. We've been coming here for, I don't know, close to a decade maybe, um, right around there. Um, but, yeah, he asked if I could just kind of share my how I came to faith and just a little bit about myself. But if I would have known I was going to have to speak after Mrs. Gee, I probably would have said no. Um, but anyways, uh, so this past week, after reflecting and jotting some notes down about my life and my faith, um, I noticed a few things kind of emerge, right? And there are seasons or periods in my life, um, and there are when I knew of God, when I met God, and uh, knowing and growing with God, which is the season I'm in now and, and hopefully will be for till the end. but. So I just want to go through those three points and, and just color them in a little bit with some detail and uh, and, and just share that with you. So um, if you were to look at my last name, Madolkin or Mariquin whatever's easiest for you, it's a tough one. Uh, you'd probably say, "Hey, this guy is his name is not from around here," and uh, you'd be right. It's uh, it's Mexican, Hispanic, whatever you're gonna whatever you to say. I'm not offended either way. Um, But usually, culturally, you know, Catholicism is attached to the Hispanic culture. Um, And that was definitely the case for my family, my dad and his parents and brothers and sisters. Um, But in the early 80s, uh, he was presented the gospel and he became a Christian. And what that meant for me was uh, going to church. Well, I was taken to church. I wasn't of driving age yet. Um, So I I grew up in church, uh, going to Sunday school and learning all the Bible stories and doing all the arts and crafts. Um, So that's how I got to know of God. And I bebopped along my little childhood life for quite a while uh, like that until I I met God. And um, it was in the mid-90s, I got invited to a a youth event called uh, the Halloween Roast. And if you can't guess, it happened during Halloween. Um, but, uh, and that's a whole other story that maybe I can share with you guys some other time. It's, it's pretty funny. But uh, at the Halloween roast, I, the gospel was presented, you know, and, and I raised my hand and I walked down the aisle and I, I said the prayer. It was a very 90s experience. Um, but, yeah, so I, I met God that night. and And I joined that youth group and I went there for a few years and I got to, um, make some really good friends. Um, but that youth group was was really um, legalistic. It was a very legalistic environment. Um, and the youth minister was really young, and, and he was just starting out. So I don't really blame him, but that Christianity was to be lived out, you know, following the rules to please God. And, um, of course, we know that's, that's not how it should be. Um, but anyways, uh, I did that for a few years. And then right after I graduated high school, I, I joined the Army. I enlisted, and I took that legalistic view with me, um, which you know may have been a good thing because the army can be a dangerous place, not just physically but morally and, and spiritually. So maybe that having that legalistic did it kept me from making some decisions that I, I may have regretted later in life. Um, but that's that's all God's providence there. Um, so. I'm in the Army, and I knew I wanted to start a family, you know, pretty soon. But I realized that being in the military with a spouse is really hard. It's really difficult and almost not fair to the spouse, right? So a lot of my friends that were married, I noticed they weren't married for very long. And I I didn't want that to happen to me. So in 2000, my four years was up, and, and I got out. And I came back home and I met Amy. Well, I met her again. Um, when I was leaving the youth group, she was actually coming in, so we sort of knew of each other. Um, so we started dating. And after a short five-year courtship, she finally said yes. Um, I'm just kidding. I, it was my fault. I, I take full blame on that. Um, so we got engaged and I asked my old youth minister from my old youth group if he would officiate and he said yes but we'd have to do premarital counseling Um, I think it was one day a week for maybe four or five weeks something like that and I think the very first time we met with him he actually apologized for all the legalism and just that whole worldview that we had in that youth group um, which was pretty huge Um, I, I really didn't even know I was doing anything wrong until we we met with him, um, but not only did he kind of point, you know, apologize and point that out, um, he he gave us our premarital counseling, of course, but then he also he shepherded us shepherded us into a, a Christ centered, you know, worldview of Christianity and and how that works. You know, not pleasing God through doing things, but doing things because we love God and He is the reason why um, we do these things, not not to please Him. Um, so. So we get married. Um, uh, So that, like I said, that was my meeting God experience, right? And that leads into my knowing and growing, right? After I I learned this God-centered way of of living out Christianity, um, me and Amy get married, and we start having our family, and things are going well. And in 2015, my dad, if you remember from the beginning of the story, uh, very big uh, figure in my life, he passes away. And it was really difficult. And... um, I had a really long and hard internal struggle with God's sovereignty. And uh, I wrestled with him, and I, it took me a long time to figure it out. And then finally, you know, over time, I, I learned to surrender. And um, not, not in a, I give up, you know, throw my hands up, and I, I can't, but more of a, I trust your will, and I know that you're with me kind of way. Um, so that was a really big turning point in my growth uh, in Christ and with God. Um, and I've, I've had to lean on that practice of surrendering many, many times after, after 2015. Uh, um, I'm sure like all of you, we have struggles. We have hard times. Um, it's not uh, a Facebook life where we just put the highlights and the good stuff up there. Um, but God has really helped me uh, to cope and deal with life by, by surrendering. Um, and I guess if I were to wrap up and summarize this, this decades-long process that I've gone through, I would, I would kind of relate it to, to knowing Chad. Um, right before he got here to, to be our preacher, if someone were to ask me, hey, do you know Chad Poe? I, I would say, no, I've, I've heard of him. I know of him. I know he's coming from uh, Tennessee or some weird place like that. Um, <laughs> I know he's going to be our pastor. And I've heard, I'm not sure, but I've heard he's not that good of a driver. I don't know. Um, and then a couple weeks later, if you were to ask me, hey, do you know Chad Poe? I could say, oh, yeah, I met him the other day. Uh, I invited him and his family to my son's third birthday party or whatever. And we had a couple of odd converse, you know, awkward conversations. But, yeah, I, I know Chad. And then now if you were to ask me, do you know Chad Poe? I could say, yeah, I've been in his life group for a few years. We've been in D groups together. Um, and I can confirm his driving is not the best. Um and if you've ever heard the bumper story, um, the other half, just go ask the, the fire hydrant at the end of my driveway, you know, the crooked one, that's the other half of the story. Uh, but anyways, through all this reflection over the week and um, trying to figure out what to say, uh, I've, I've realized this, that, that God loves me, that he's sovereign, and that he'll always be with me. So, I, I would also say, if, just a couple of minutes, if you only know of God and you haven't met God... There's a lot of people in this room that would love to talk to you about that. Um, And if you're growing with God, I would encourage you to to keep strong. And if you're not in a life group, to join a life group. And if you're not a member, uh, consider joining us. So that's it. Thank you.
0: Even after all that, I'm going to pray for him. And um, uh, Father, I just thank you for Greg. And I pray that you'll continue to remind him of your grace each day. Uh, Jesus, I pray that You'll move in his life, continue to move in his life. Uh, and Lord, I pray you'll be with our church as we're just wrestling with what it means for him to be one of our um, elder leaders. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Greg. If you have your Bibles, open those to Matthew chapter 10. And don't look at your watch because I'm not going to. Matthew chapter 10. Every time I make a time joke, one person laughs. Matthew chapter I would rather 5. Matthew 5. Picking up in verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they... Will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and those who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before me. 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Every beatitude, according to John Stott, describes what every single Christian is meant to be. All of these things swimming together, swirling together to describe for us what it means to be people who walk with Jesus. Who have been given the deep joy that God has offered us in Jesus. You build toward these and you work through them and and you get to this place. Once you've gotten past the point where you are acknowledging the bankruptcy of your spirit and the, the mourning that you would have over your sin, where God begins to use words to describe who his people are and who his people are to be, that are almost good. We would line up and we would say, I love these good things. That we would be people who say, I hunger and I thirst for the righteousness of God. That's a really incredible thing to say about what it means to walk with Jesus. That we would be merciful, showing mercy and compassion and grace toward people who are in uh, terrible situations and terrible circumstances. That you would be pure in heart? Who doesn't want to be described as pure in heart? Blessed are the peacemakers. That you would go about making God's peace, declaring God's harmonious life that he's offered you in him. These are all really good terms. And then we get to persecuted. Who wants that? In the United States right now, there are as many real estate agents as there are available houses. What a world. Imagine that you and your family are going to buy a new house. You've done every bit of research that you can do. You've been on Zillow. You have searched the various sites that are there. You pick out a house. You choose to use a real estate agent. You make contact with them. You've researched the home online. You know all of the ins and outs and how they have made that home to look pristine and perfect, almost a castle in 1,800 square feet. When you look at the home, you are so excited. When you get there in person, the agent meets you out front. They unlock the lockbox. They take the key, you walk through the house, you begin to walk around and you notice, yeah, there are certain faults as I go through the place, but there are such good things here. There is nothing here that I cannot deal with. This is going to be a magnificent place for me to live with my wife and my four children. This is incredible. You have the house almost sold. You you are ready to put your name on the contract. You are at the place where you would say, this is my house. I cannot wait to live in this house. The problems, they won't be problems forever. We'll deal with it. You're doing the final tour with your wonderful, incredible real estate agent who more than likely goes to our church. You are all in. And as you wrap up, they stop you and they say, and just to let you know, the guest, the guest bathroom has a regular plumbing problem. Problem. It floods and occasionally smells like sewage. You had no clue. They don't put that on the internet. The screen's not scratch and sniff. (laughs) Just so you know, alligators regularly crawl up from the creek behind your house. You're not very pro-alligator. And just so you know... The bedroom in the attic, it's haunted. You hear all of these things as you've come to the completion and the culmination of what it means for you to live in this house. That's a terrible sales pitch. They should never tell you those things. And Jesus has just closed out the Beatitudes with something similar. Good, 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 good. But you will be persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So we're going to attempt to answer two questions as we walk through this passage together. Question number one, what is persecution? Question number two, who is persecuted? And if I get froggy or alligatory, I may answer... Where is persecution now? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Uh, Blessed is this word, as we've mentioned regularly, and if you've been with us throughout this series, the idea of the deep joy offered to us in God through this Son of His. Jesus would go on to say at one point, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That's in John chapter 15. When we look at the notion, we start there and we end with the idea of the, the, the kingdom of, because of righteousness. That we will be people who are in right relationship with God through the deep joy offered to us in Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Righteousness is a unique concept, but we cannot lose ourselves in this. We have to consider why persecution may take place for you, why it may happen for you, why it may happen globally, what in the world it means for us to consider and wrestle with righteousness. The idea of righteousness is that we have people who are to take the word and put it in my definition, people are right with God. Why are we righteous? Because of the crucified, resurrected Jesus. We have the deep joy offered to us in God, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that he has done. Taking our sin and our death and our shame and our lust and our health and all of the hours upon himself on the cross so that you and I could be declared as righteous. You are righteous because of what God has done for you in Jesus. Deep joy is given to those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Notice what it does not say. When we are talking about the idea of us being a righteous people as as those who belong to God. A persecuted people. He does not say blessed are those who are persecuted because they have been a jerk. Because they have mistreated their neighbor. Because they have rolled their eyes at the questions and concerns of the world that are around them. We are looking at a passage that says to us, those of us who are in Jesus, there is something that takes place when we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Again, aligning ourselves with the very words of Jesus when he said, if the world hates you, it hated me first. Don't forget that. Well, what is persecution? It's a kind of a double thing happening as you work through the passage. You, you notice some of these things. When he says you're blessed, when they insult you and persecute you and they falsely say every kind of evil against you. So what that lets us know is there's something that's taking place. Something that is taking place because of the crucified, resurrected Messiah who you have said you have aligned your life with. Who you have said that you belong to and that you trust. Who you have gone to the extent of saying that you follow. But keep in mind, if you're following him, you're following him to a cross. That's not my words, that's his. Take up your cross every day and follow me. When we look at the notion of persecution in a passage like this, we see that it covers multiple facets. We can see that it is verbal. We can see that it's violent. But here's what we cannot do. We cannot label everything that happens to us as persecution. Because if everything is persecution, then nothing is. So when we look at what persecution is, we consider the idea that Jesus is saying to us, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And they're going to talk about these various words in the passage. He's going to point out the idea of reviling, point out the idea of persecution. He's going to point out the idea of speaking harmfully against you. But he's also going to say that the kingdom of heaven, it belongs to you. The purest form of righteousness is pursued by disciples who know that their good deeds, according to the Christian Standard Bible Study Bible, will demand great sacrifice and will result in pain rather than immediate reward. And for us to know the kingdom of heaven is for us to see and realize that the kingdom of heaven is the reign and rule of God in Christ Jesus. When you look through this text, this word righteous runs through it. It starts at the very beginning, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are bankrupt in spirit or poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's an ever-present now. Then you have all these promises of what will be. And then you circle back at the end and say the kingdom of heaven for those who are persecuted is right now. It's almost like this ladder that God has happened to give us has built us to this place where we would be able to look at the world in which we live and live in the reality that the persecution of a believer is a possibility and a probability. That we would see that that's coming, that we would notice that that takes place. When we look at the idea of righteousness in this passage... It's us considering that we are subject to God's rule to the submission to the authority of Jesus. This kingdom starts while he was, started while he was on earth. Walking, talking, living, breathing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand is what John says. But we know that there will be a day where it is in its fulfillment and its consummation. When you look at the words, rather, back to those that you see in verse 11... To revile something means that you find fault, shame, or demean. So it says, you are blessed when they find fault. When they demean, when, you, when they shame you because of me. For righteousness' sake. The word speak evil, the idea of speaking evil, it's this verbal concept. The word persecute in the original language, it literally means to chase down. Blessed are you when they chase you down. When they harass you because of your beliefs. When they keep coming after you. It's why Peter will eventually remind us in the book of 1 Peter... I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires that war against your soul, but conduct your lives honorably among the Gentiles, so that that though they may slander you as wrongdoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake when they speak evil, when they chase you down, when they say harsh things against what you believe and why you believe it. That does not mean that we get to have an opinion on anything and everything that is hateful and contrary to the compassion and kindness that Jesus called his people to. We'll consider a church, and I use the word church in, quote, honestly, it's not really a church. The idea of Westboro Baptist, a friend of mine's a pastor in Fort Worth, there was a Sunday for him in a church that is very similar to ours in numerous ways where Westboro picketed outside of his church. What a guest to show up on a Sunday morning. They picket they pick churches who preach compassion. They picket funerals of soldiers. They seek spotlight. When they're asked to stand down and when they're told to stand down, they are not, that is not taking place for them because they are persecuted for righteousness' sake. People are pointing out that they are at fault for their behavior because it is contrary. In these Beatitudes, we have learned the character of God's people. And the character of God's people stands in great contrast to what you see there. Because the character of God's people lines up with the character of God. Our God does not condone self righteousness, our God hates holier than thou moments. Our God hates racist and classist oppression. He loathes it. We notice that real persecution, according to what this text teaches, according to one commentator, is it is persecution on Christ's account, is suffering that stems from humble allegiance to Jesus and his teachings. Jesus says, You are blessed when they speak any kind of evil against you because of me. If our attitude and our consideration of what it means for people to be persecuted is one that is somehow removed from this Jesus, it is not a persecution that honors and brings glory to Him. When you look at the text, you get to verse 12, this is, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, Scott Saul's pastor in, in Nashville that I love says this, When the world treats you as nobody, you get a place with the prophets. When the world would look and see that we should be persecuted, we get a place with these prophets. Friends, every generation of Christians has faced persecution. It has run through our story. In the days of the Bible, the various Roman governments there were christians who were soaked in oil and torched because of their faith in the reformation protestants were persecuted by the state uh, but just in case you think the persecution only takes place then persecution takes place now around the world more than 340 million christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution Just for following Jesus, if you're doing the math, which is a struggle for me but not for you, that's one in eight. With the idea of being persecuted in the here and now is something that Paul warns us of. In Galatians one four. he says, Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father. We realize that we are part of a kingdom that is not necessarily of this world. That we are part of something that is significant. 75% of the world right now that you live in, it is under, there are religious restrictions that they have to abide by. More than 13 Christians die every day because of their relationship with Jesus. The thing is that for us, we see these things on the news and we see these things on our social media feeds and it's so much of the way that everything is presented to us is done so in an entertainment format that we forget We are people who are convenient to a default. We love it. And convenience breeds complacency. And complacency breeds an ignorance in us to the idea of what's actually taking place around the entirety of the world. We miss the idea that there are people who are hurting. Here's why. Because slow wireless internet kills us. It drives us crazy. Your Netflix won't load. There was once I posted about the terrible layout of the Subway app. Anyone ever been on that app? If you haven't, feel free to avoid it. One church member replied, You can give your order to the sweet lady in the hat behind the counter. I said, I don't get points when I do that, Wendy. (laughs) All of our convenience numbs us. One commentator points out that the idea of convenience numbs us to the point that when we look at real world realities, our our care happens to plummet. We have this idea that if we do a few good deeds, everything will be okay. We string together a few, we're on top of the world. After church, we go to pick up lunch for a sick family. Because we're so good and so kind. Yet on the way, we stop and we let someone in front of us in traffic. Because we're a wonder worker. Not only do you do that while you're at the grocery store, you let another person cut in front of you because they've got less items than you and it's not that big of a deal. By the time we've done all these nice things, we want a championship belt because we could strut sitting down. We've looked at our lives. We've said that we would, because of all of the good that we do, we miss the idea that the world is a, a wreck. And we are numb to these realities. And if you're wondering where I get these statistics, I'll just be honest with you. There, there are numerous, you don't have to have a preacher code to, to find these things out. All you need is internet. It even works on the slow Wi-Fi. In North Korea right now, if you are discovered as a Christian, it is sensible to death. If you're not killed instantly, you will be taken to a labor camp as a political criminal. These inhuman prisons have horrific conditions and few believers make it out alive. Everyone in your family will share the exact same punishment. Secret police carry out raids to identify Christians. Teachers are encouraged. They encourage the children in their classes to share of any religious activity in their homes. In Myanmar, right now, you may have Notice the story in Myanmar where they had a military takeover a few weeks ago. You may have not thought about that since you noticed it on the news. But this is a reality that people are living right now. Followers of Jesus persecuted in that country. And due to ongoing fighting, more than 100,000 people, mostly Christian, are living in internally displaced person camps. Most of them will be there for years... And humanitarian access to them has been blocked. On top of that, there's a pandemic, if you haven't noticed, that is wrecking much of the world. It has brought numerous challenges on top of that. Because many Christians are deliberately overlooked in the distribution of government aid in the face of their crisis. Maybe you've got the news this week in Afghanistan. If a, this, was, this, this is before the Taliban took over. If a Christian's family discovers they've been converted, their family, clan, or tribe has to save its honor by disowning that that person. Possibly to the point of killing them. Christians from a Muslim background are able to be sanctioned away from that, but they are put into a psychiatric hospital because leaving Islam is considered a sign of absolute insanity. If you're a woman under Taliban regime, you receive brutal rules. If you are an infidel, which means you have left your faith for Christendom, that means you get horrendous punishment, more than likely death. Global persecution is real. And it's taking place right now, and we keep clicking through channels. In America, we have the power to change those. We look around and we notice that there are people who are hurting globally, people who are struggling. And here's the thing about those people. Many of them believe about Jesus, what you believe about Jesus. And what is taking place in their lives. In their real lives. In their everyday wake up, get something to eat, if I can, lives. They're being mistreated because they say that Jesus is worth everything. And we as a people have an opportunity to consider what it means to, to, to partner with God's global mission. Jared has done a great job working with our missions team. We partner with the International Mission Board. Even now, the IMB is doing everything it can to, to send aid and help in those situations. We as believers in Jesus have been given opportunity, but not only opportunity. We've been given the expectation from God to pray that, that there would be hope in the midst of all of that. Remembering what Jesus said, the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So, so here's my real question for us as we wrestle with this as a, a, a group of people this morning. What is so different about those places? What is taking place globally that isn't taking place here? Is it because unchristian Americans are that much more noble than unchristian Romans or the Taliban or North Korea or the militia that happens to be running Myanmar? Or is the reality that the light of our faith is so dim? That it's really not worth the effort for them. Are the things that we do each day in line with Jesus? Are the things that we care about aligned with what scriptures seem to tell us that Jesus cares about? Another way to word that would be if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, what is taking place in your life every day that's worth persecuting? What takes place for us as we wrestle with the truths of these scriptures? Amos five talks about the the day of the Lord, and in this passage, there's the idea that the people of Israel wanted this promised day of the Lord. They couldn't wait for it. There's an anticipation for it, and God looked and said, "Do you really want that?" God looked at their religion and looked at their faithless faith and begins to ask questions of them. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and there won't be light. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to have a bear confront him. He goes home. He rests his hand against the wall only to have a snake bite him. Won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light? Even gloom without any brightness in it. But we're really, really religious. And we sing, and we get together. We have Bible study after Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. And we downloaded another Bible study. I hate and I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of a fattened cow. Take away the noise of your songs. I will the music of your harps. But let justice flow like a water. Let righteousness like an unfailing stream. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you bow your heads? this world has one hope if we have not been clear to this point let me be emphatically clear with your heads bowed now it is a crucified resurrected Messiah who meets us in the darkness of our longing in the midst of our pain and despair if you don't know him We would love to talk to you about what it means for you to place your faith in Jesus. But I know most of your faces, because I love you. I really love you, and I've been given the opportunity for the last four years to be a pastor here. And I pray for you, and I think about you, and I, I just pray right now that we'll see this faith is bigger than what we even realize. If there are people who you may not see as a brother and sister but who God himself says is your brother and your sister who have no idea what it's like to live here who are struggling and broken and scared for their lives what our hearts go out to them And would we personally and corporately confront our faithless faith? And seek to live lives that align with the truth of this kingdom we've been told we're part of. If you need me, I'm in the back right hand corner of the room. I'd love to chat with you, pray with you, whatever we need to do.